And we've recently said the church needs to shift from a worldly view of heaven to a heavenly view of the world. And there is this worldly view of heaven that is really, uh, it's, it's been present in the earth for generations. But, you know, to hear the world tell it, everyone who dies goes to some, you know, ethereal better place. Well, that's a worldly view of heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. And what the Bible teaches about heaven is that it's those who have been born again and have entered the kingdom through the new birth that will be in heaven one day. Praise God. Now, um, again, just a quick review. First John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Not will overcome, but have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Then we move over one chapter to 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So he's saying that born-again men and women uh, are the only ones who can overcome this world and that we overcome this world by faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So living in victory over the devil and overcoming the world that the devil rules requires our living by faith in God. There is no other way. We we really need to come to terms with that. There is no other way. That's what he's saying in verse number 5. And the devil understands that there is no other way. It's very important that we understand that there is no other way. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, another key scripture in our current study and now abide faith hope love these three but the greatest of these is love and we've said that faith is the ability to see beyond this world hope is the ability to see beyond your circumstances and love is the ability to see beyond yourself and that if you never learn to see beyond yourself you'll never be able to see beyond what you're dealing with what you're currently experiencing in life and if you can't see beyond what you're currently experiencing in life, you'll never be able to see beyond this, this world. And that's so significant because our help comes from the Lord. Amen? Our help comes from Him. As we were singing that song, and I've, I've been meaning to mention this, when I was young and immature, I felt compelled to change the lyrics in every song we ever sung. And I appreciate uh, the praise team uh, being patient with me during all that. But that first song that... that we will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. I, I do it kind of freestyle down there. The, the last time, instead of saying we, we will wait upon the Lord, we will expect upon the Lord. Because remember, waiting on the Lord means placing our expectations upon Him. And so I ask you all the time, are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? And so faith is the ability to see beyond um, the limitations of this this world and this world system. Now, first, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians five and seven. Let's kind of settle in here for a moment. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not I'm not going to go into all that you know the context of this verse and all the verses that surround this verse. But if you're familiar with it, he's the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is revealing some things to us about uh, our, our next uh, adventure in God and that while we're in the flesh, we long to be free from the flesh so that we can have the glorified body that, that we will one day experience in heaven. And the Bible 
refers to the body that you currently live in on this earth as a tent, meaning it's a temporary dwelling place, but that we have this permanent home, a new glorified body that's comparable to the born-again spirit that's already in this body. And Paul talks about how he longs for that and how he, he yearns for that. And then, so in the middle of this teaching and, and revealing of these things, we have this treasure for we walk by faith, not by sight. Because what Paul is saying is that, you know, if you just look in a mirror at this physical body, you don't see uh, the, the one that is prepared for us in heaven. But we know that it's true because God has said that it is true. So that's the context, you know, kind of quickly uh, overviewed of this passage For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I believe the devil is behind the phrase or the terminology blind faith. We we hear that. um, People talk about just blind faith. took Took a step of blind faith. Again, Satan is behind that phrase, behind that expression, behind that idea, behind that concept Walking by faith does not mean walking blindly. Now, we, we, we got to understand this, okay? People who walk by faith are seeing, okay? They're just not seeing the same as those who walk by sight. So one more time, walking by faith does not mean walking blindly. Walking by faith means walking with the ability to see things as they truly are as opposed to the way they appear to be. People who walk by sight are living their lives based upon the way things appear to be. People who are walking by faith are living their lives based upon the way things truly are. How do you know the way things truly are? By the Word of God. What God has said is the way things truly are. So this is why faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. In John 17, 17, Jesus praying to his father, he said, set them apart, sanctify them by thy truth. Father, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. Now, keep, keep some of that in, in your mind because we're going to build on that as, as we progress through um, this morning. Sometimes I, I joke around about the New Winslet International Version, but if there was a New Winslet International Version of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 would read something like this, For we walk by seeing things as they truly are, not by the way things appear to be. This is what it means to walk by faith. So again, this concept, this thought, this, this phrase, this idea of taking a step of blind faith is, is not how faith works at all. And, and Satan is the one who wants us to think of faith as, as being something we do blindly. Now, we see in Hebrews 11 where we uh, look at these heroes of faith uh, from the... Uh, First Testament in the scriptures, for example, when Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice before God, the Bible says that he had already received Isaac, raised up from the dead in a figure, meaning he had already seen the end of this situation before he ever put wood on Isaac's back and climbed that mountain to sacrifice him. 
We also see where the scriptures are very specific that Moses, who, who chose to suffer with, with God's people rather than enjoy uh, the, the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt, which we know would have only been for a season, and that everything Moses did, everything that he accomplished, everything that he endured, everything that he overcame, which was a lot, by the way, that he did it as if he was seeing God who is invisible to the natural eye. So again, this idea of blind faith is a wrong understanding. Now, because we walk by seeing things as they truly are, not by the way things appear to be, I want, at some point I need to insert this. So let, me, let me just do it now, okay? On Wednesday evenings, and I think I've mentioned this a time or two on Sunday morning, the, the word of the Lord came to us that this self-help mindset of the world has crept into the church and must be rooted out. And so many times, God's people, and we do it, I think, with good intentions, well-meaning, we search the scriptures for answers that we're trying to apply to our lives without God. And there is nothing in this book, the Word of God, that will work without God. This idea that, that you, you know, we come to church because we, so many people are viewing, uh, you know, church groups as nothing more than just self-help groups and pastors as self-help coaches and, and hopefully he can tell me a few things that I can go home and try that might help you know, me be a better parent or something I could go home and try that'll, that'll improve my financial situation or something that I could go home and try that, that'll, that'll help me and my wife get along better and, and, and these kinds of things. See, that, that's, that's not how any of this works. And so when we talk about seeing things as they truly are, you will never do that without God. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Some of the most diligent students that have, of the Bible that have ever lived on planet earth. Jesus said this to them. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think they, that you have eternal life. But you fail to realize that the scriptures you have so diligently studied and memorized are all pointing to him, all pointing to Jesus. Now, does the Bible have anything to say about eternal life? You better know it does. But as long as they were trying to find some uh, three-step methodology, some uh, four keys to eternal life, something that they could take and do themselves without including God into their lives, it would never work. They would never see it. They would never find it. So we're going to talk a lot about, you know, seeing things as they truly are as opposed to seeing things and looking at things as they appear to be. And all of these things are right and true and biblical and taken from Scripture, but we can't lose sight of this one important thing. It is God who gives you and me the ability to see things as they truly are. And we see in Scripture where, you know, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, where there's a veil that, that remains over, um, you know, people's eyes, and they're now blinded to the gospel. They, they, they can't see it. But we see that that veil is removed where it's removed in Christ. And now we can see very clearly. And we, and we think that the, the veil that he's talking about is, is people are being blinded that you know, are heathens and reprobates. No, he, people who could quote the Bible backwards were blinded to Jesus. They, they couldn't see. And so it's God who gives us the ability to see. That was the prayer that Paul prayed 
for the Ephesians that, that God would give to us, that God would give to you, that God would give to me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him and that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we might see things as they truly are. Because let me tell you something, when you see things as they truly are, you don't struggle with doubt anymore. When you see things as they truly are and your eyes are open to the way it really is, then at that point, you can't see it turning out any other way than the way God said it was going to turn out. For we walk by seeing things as they truly are. That's what it means to walk by faith. Not by the way things appear. So listen, Satan can easily manipulate the way things appear to be. Satan can easily manipulate the way things appear to be. And if you live your life based upon the way things appear to be, he can easily manipulate you. Man, I want that to sink in right there. See, this is, this is the, the, the multi-layered aspect of all of this. You know, we think, well, you know, I'm just being rational. I'm just being logical. And there's so many examples we could go to in the scriptures. The one that, that we focused on a lot this year is when the 12 spies went into Canaan land and came back, um, 10 had what God called an evil report. But they were just giving them, quote unquote, the facts. They were agreeing that there that was a land of plenty. They were agreeing that it was, it was a land that flows with milk and honey. But they were also wanting everybody to know that there were giants there and there were fortified cities there and there were militaries there and they were outnumbered there. Notice, they're giving them a, a fact-based report. They were telling them how things appeared to be. Of course, we know that Joshua and Caleb said, we are well able, has the Lord not said... See, they, they, weren't, they weren't looking at things the way they appeared to be. They were looking at things as they truly were. And as they truly were, identified by God, right, that he said go up. And they said let's go up at once. All right. I got to say this again. Satan can easily manipulate the way things appear to be. Have, have, have you ever, think of, <laughs> have you ever? Has it happened to you today? I mean, it happens all the time where we think it's one, one way and it turns out to be another. You know, it's so funny. People say, I only believe in what I can see. And we talk about that like we've, like we've never seen things incorrectly. That we've never looked at things one way and it's turned out to be another. Satan can easily manipulate the way things appear to be. And if you live your life based upon the way things appear to be, he can easily manipulate you. Did Satan try to manipulate Jesus? Yes, he did. Was he successful? No, he wasn't. By the way, the only human being who's ever lived on planet Earth that Satan was not able to manipulate. Just think about that for a minute. The only human being who's ever lived on planet Earth that Satan was not able to manipulate. Okay, So he tried to manipulate Jesus, but he couldn't do it. Why not? Because Jesus saw things as they truly were, as they truly are, and refused, this is important, Jesus refused to respond based upon the way things Satan tried to make them appear to be. That's a run-on sentence, but it's good doctrine. Remember what he said. He, 
he, he made, he wanted, him to, he wanted him to look at those stones. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus hadn't eaten anything for 40 days and nights. And so he, he wants him to turn these round stones. I can imagine the sun kind of hitting them just right. They look like hot, warm loaves of bread. Right? Because he, he's, making, he's trying to make things appear and, and, and shift Jesus' focus and get him to look at it uh, from a, we go all the way to the Garden of Eden. This is exactly what he did to Eve, right? When she saw that the fruit, he, 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 he manipulated her into seeing it as it appeared to be as opposed to as it truly was. So he was, he was unable to manipulate Jesus because Jesus refused to respond based upon the way things appeared but instead, he saw things and responded as they truly were and are. So faith is the ability to see beyond the way things appear to be. Faith is the ability to see beyond the way things appear to be and the ability to respond based upon the way things truly are. I got a lot to try to give you this morning and and most of my time in preparation this morning was trying to establish the best order to present all this uh, in today and and make sure I get in what I think the Lord would have me to say to you this morning. Let's kind of camp out here for just a minute, okay? Faith is the ability, um, Brother Donald helped me on this, Um, I I have... uh, define faith different ways over the years and and one of the ways that I've defined faith is uh, faith is your response to God not not God responding to you so many people see faith as something they're trying to use to leverage God and get God to respond to them God's already responded to you he's already freely given you all things that pertain to life and godliness he's he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places he's I mean what he said to you what he said about you what he's done for you what he's freely given to you is beyond comprehension. You have to have the Holy Spirit to help you know the things that have been freely given to you by God. Okay, So we, we need to understand faith then as our responding to Him. But here's where Brother Donald helped me. He said faith is a divine ability because God gives to us the measure of faith. And this, this goes back to rooting out that self-help mindset. Right? Because if we're not careful, we'll talk about my faith, you know, like we somehow went and dug it out of the ground and, 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 and acquired it, you know. No, God has given to each person the measure of faith, and, and that represents a divine ability. So faith then becomes the divine ability in you to respond to what God has said, to what God has done, okay? Faith without works is what? It's dead, right? And, and I, when we think of something as being dead, think of like, if you ever said these words, my phone is dead. But you're holding it in your hand. It's not buried. It's, you know, like in a grave. It's dead, which means what? It means one of two things or both. It means it doesn't have any more juice or it's no longer connected to the tower and it's not receiving signals. So, so we, we say it's dead. So when the scriptures say faith without works is dead, think of it more as faith without corresponding action 
as being dormant. It's still there. It's just inactive. It's not producing. It's not operating in in our lives. So as we understand faith as the ability to see beyond the way things appear to be, that's really important, and, and, and there's no substitute for that. But then it becomes the ability or the divine ability to respond based upon the way things truly are. So let me see if I can say it another way. It's one thing to see it, because this is, I think, where a lot of God's people are. Our eyes are being opened to some things. We're, we're beginning to see things as they truly are, but seeing it as it truly is is not the same as then responding So many times we see it as it truly is, but continue to respond as it appears to be. Also known as, according to James 1, double-mindedness, right? Let me me scooch down here just a minute, and then we'll come back. Well, we've got time to do this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, the Holy Spirit prompted me, and and it proved true that it was Him prompting me and not just me trying to shoehorn something into fit. Multiple translations of this verse, and most importantly, the literal translations of this verse, have it this way. We do not look to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. You say, what's the difference? Well, it's a big difference here. Because remember, what you look to, come on now, what you look to becomes the lens you look through. It's it's one thing to look at something, okay? But it's another thing altogether when you look to it. And you can look at a $100 bill, you can look at money, okay? Or you can look to money. I'm still not getting it, Pastor Mark. I'm pausing because I would much rather the Holy Spirit help you connect with it instead of you just listening to me say it, okay? You can look at medicine, bottle of medicine, or you can look to it. I'm not knocking medicine, just hear me. See, the difference between looking at and looking to is when you look to something, you're, you're looking for that to do something for you in return. You see, you see the difference there. You can be a casual observer and look at something, but when you start looking to it, that's when you start looking to it for some benefit. You start looking to it for some kind of help. You, you start looking to it to, to, to provide you with something that you don't seem to have with, within yourself. In other words, you, you're looking outside of yourself for some benefit or help or assistance that it, that it may bring, right? That's why Jesus says you, you, you can't serve God and money, right? 
You look to God, you look at money. Amen. And I hope, you know, if you'll get that right, you'll start looking at more money. <laughs> Amen. Amen. See, if you look at money as a tool, are you following me? If you look at money as, as seed and look to God as the giver of increase, Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> the, the New King James Version missed it here. Because he's not just talking about looking at things which are seen. He's talking about looking to them. So, the things that are seen, again, in this world, a view of this world that comes from this world, we're talking about looking to things as they appear to be. But instead, we're not going to look to the things as they appear, but we're going to look to the unseen realm of God's Spirit. What did David say? My help comes from the Lord. I will look to the hills. Amen. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. So again, multiple translations, and most importantly, the little translations say, we do not look to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. So remember, what you look to will become the lens you look through. Now, stay with me, because I want you to, I want you to see a very important progression in Scripture. And what I mean by progression is the Bible teaches that, that we grow... Um, in stages and steps and increments. We go from a, a, a newborn baby to a child, and then from a child to a full-grown uh, adult will be an example of progression in Scripture, where, where we have a beginning point, and, and as we grow and develop, we, we progress through. And, and, you know, I like to say it in different ways, but, but, but a, an infant is dependent upon someone else to prepare a meal for them and feed them. Uh, one who is as a spiritual child, right, can take what others have prepared and feed themselves. But when you become, a, as a spiritual adult, you're able to prepare a meal, feed yourself, and feed others. So that, that's, that's a, a, a progression, right? Um, another one that's well established in Scripture is we see it when, when the Bible says that God brought His people out of slavery in Egypt so that he might bring them into the promised land. He brought them out so he could bring them in. He didn't just bring them out so he could say, there you go, I showed you, Pharaoh, I got them out of there, didn't I? No, he brought them out for the, for the distinct purpose of then bringing them in to the promised land. He couldn't bring them into the promised land until he first brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery. And so I've heard it said this way, God brought them out of a place of not enough, into the wilderness where they had just enough, but his ultimate plan was to carry them into a place of, come on, say it now, more than enough. From not enough to just enough to more than enough. From lack to getting by to abundance. All right? Now, this is where we talk about the biggest threat to your best life is a better life. Right? The discomfort of not enough 
motivates people to do what it takes to get to barely enough. But I've met a lot of people who have gone from not enough to barely enough who aren't nearly as motivated to go from barely enough to more than enough. I've met a lot of people willing to do whatever it takes to get out of a bad life to a better life. I've met very few willing to do whatever it takes to get out of a better life to their best life. My uh, opportunity and honor to, to, to serve and minister at the Foundry for so many years now. You know, I've met so many people who are willing to do whatever it takes to get out of addiction. But I've met very few that are willing to double down and, and apply the same or even greater effort to do whatever it takes to get into their promised land, into their best life. That's why I say one of the biggest threats to your, your best life is a better life. We, we can let desperation motivate us to do things that we previously refused to consider doing, but then once we experience some results, and that's why a lot of people get stuck in a, in a trap, right? Where they just cycle back and forth between a bad life and a better life, a bad life and a better life and a bad life and a better life. I've never met someone who let me help them in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God help them get to their best life, to their promised land, whoever went back to Egypt. But what did the people in between Egypt and their best life, what did they keep wanting to do? They keep wanting to, kept wanting to go back to Egypt, did they not? Are you still with me up in here? All right, amen. So you say, well, Pastor Mark, did you just change subjects? I didn't. I'm just trying to show you the, these progressions and how many times we, we will grow to a certain point in the things of God, and then we'll let our foot off the gas. And, and remember, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay? So <clears throat> I want to show you then, as it relates to what we're talking about this morning, a similar progression when it comes to the ways of faith. And so here, here is the first one. If you look only to the facts, or if you look only to the way things appear to be, you will never see it any other way than it appears to be. And that may sound like a no-brainer right there, but see, this, this is what happens. You know, we look to the way things appear to be, we only look to the facts, and we never see it any other way than it appears to be. But then we start hearing the Word of God, and we start hearing the Word of faith, and we start... We start hearing truth, and, and, and we start receiving truth, and it, and, and, and it begins to, to work and develop and, and, and put down some roots and, and, and starts to spring up uh, in our hearts and in our lives. So we go from looking only to the facts to a place of looking to facts and the truth. But if you look to the facts and the truth, you will waver back and forth between the two. I've got too many ands in there, but you've figured it out, okay? Look to the facts and the truth, and you will waver back and forth between the two. Don't, don't be embarrassed if, if you're there, because Abraham found himself there for an extended period of time. He knew what God said. But he also 
knew the facts about you know him and Sarah and the condition of their bodies and her inability to conceive a child when she was younger and now she's pushing you know great grandmother age and Now, the third stage in, in this progression, and this is the one, I feel like most everybody that I'm, I'm talking to right now is at least right here. Come on now. We know some truth, don't we? We, we know how things look when we put on those, those truth glasses. By his stripes you were healed. Come on, that's truth right there, right? Amen. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him now freely give us all things? And we, we could go on and on. We, we know some truth that we have been blessed. He, he became a curse for you so the blessing of Abraham could come upon the non-biological descendants of Abraham. That's, again, truth, truth, truth. Given, it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We, on and on, truth, 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 truth. We know the truth, right? But remember, it's one thing to see things as they truly are, but it's another thing to respond to things the way they truly are. So let's, let me start back over. Look only to the facts. Look only to the way things appear to be, and you'll never see it any other way than it appears to be. But if you look to the facts and the truth, you'll waver back and forth between the two. And James talked about this, right? It's that, it's that condition of, of double-mindedness. He says he's like a, a wave tossed back and forth. And, and even when you start digging into what, what doubt is, it's, it's at the root of that is this idea of wavering. It's, it's going back and forth between two positions, But what do we learn from Abraham? We learn from Abraham that if you look only to the truth, look only to the truth and you will see it the way it truly is. I didn't say that. I I left out a key word there. You will only see it the way it truly is. Help me, Holy Spirit. Praise God. Let's go to Romans 4. I thought we would be here before now, but that's okay. Romans 4, let's begin at verse number 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. That is a very important therefore statement in the Scriptures. Anytime... A verse begins with therefore. You need to pay attention to what came before that passage because the opening statement of verse 16 is basically a culmination of what has been covered up into that point. And what's been covered up into that point is the difference between earning something and being given something. And the idea is that if you work all week and are given a paycheck on Friday, you may say thank you, but it was not a gift. You earned it and you were owed it. You worked for it and it was owed to you and you were given. And how God has now, because of Jesus, been able to take you and me out of the old system of performance and works-based blessing into what God has always desired, which is to treat you and me like our sin never happened, 
So He can give to us what He desires for us to have as opposed to what we deserve to be given. And this, this is a very, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, we could teach three weeks on this right here. What this phrase, of, opening phrase of verse 16 is saying, it's a fate that it might be according to grace. In other words, if it's not about what you and I have earned and deserved, then how do we receive from God? How, are, we, are we going to continue to try to work and put God in our debt? Because we've served enough, we've been obedient enough, we've come to church enough, we've read the Bible enough, and now He owes us. Or are we going to set that system aside? And I'm not saying set reading the Word and obeying, all that's still important. But the idea here is that we receive from God based upon faith and grace. It can't be both, in other words, that's what he's saying. It is a faith so that it can be grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be." Now, there's a lot of teaching here that we could do. I just I want to point out something very important, and that's verse 17. What did God say to Abraham? He said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. That's not what Abraham heard. Abraham heard, I will make you the father of many nations. God did not say, I have, God did not say, I will make you the father of many nations. Excuse me. He did not say, I will make you the father of many nations. He said to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. And he said, I've made you the father of many nations before he was the father of anybody. So that don't make sense to me. Well, then 1 John 4, 4 don't make sense to you. You have overcome them. But that's how God works, right? He declares the end of a thing from the beginning. He calls things that be not as though they were. And when God says that's how it is, guess what? That's how it truly is. No matter how it appears to be. It didn't appear, Abraham did not appear to be the father of many nations. But he truly was the father of many nations. Why was he truly the father of many nations? He was the father of many nations because God said, I've made you the father of many nations. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider. So here it is. He did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about a 100 years old. And he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced... That what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, the Lord gave us a, a statement. I learned this from Brother Copeland. He said, one of, one of my jobs as a minister is to give you something to say. Amen. It's to give you something to say. And this is one of the things the Lord gave me to give to you to say. Strong faith requires a singular focus. Strong faith requires a singular focus.
Strong faith requires a singular focus. The more singular your focus is on the way things truly are, the stronger your faith will be. The more divided or fragmented your focus is between the way things truly are and the way things appear to be, the weaker your faith will be. So when we say strong faith requires a singular focus, notice as long as Abraham was trying to see things as they truly are according to what God had said and as they appeared to be when he looked at himself in the mirror after he got out of the shower in the morning. Are you following what I'm saying? This is, this is where he wavered and where he struggled. Where did he start? Let's go back to it now and we'll finish here. He started looking only to the facts, the way things appeared to be. This is why when, when the angel of the Lord said to Abraham and Sarah that you're going to have a child, they laughed. Why did they laugh? Because they couldn't see how that was possible. That looked impossible to them. It looked so impossible, so improbable that it was laughable to them. And they laughed when God said it. Why? Because at this stage of their growth and development, they were looking to the way things appeared. And if you only look to the way things appear, you will only see things through the lens of the way things appear. Right? You will never see it any other way than the way it appears to be. If you're going to see it differently than the way it appears to be, you're going to have to start looking to something different. So then they went into this stage of looking to the facts and the truth and they wavered back and forth between the two. But then we see this stage where they only looked to the truth and eventually came to the place, are you ready? where they couldn't see it any other way, not having a child had now become as laughable to them as having one one day was. Being fully persuaded means Abraham had come to a point to where he couldn't see it any other way than him and Sarah having a child. Do you see why we say strong faith requires a singular focus? Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All right, next Sunday we're going we're gonna to look a little bit at, at Peter. Let me just kind of plant these thoughts in your heart before we pray and are dismissed, okay? Peter was in a boat with his buddies and the winds had turned and the sea had turned rough and they thought they were, you know, about to maybe drown. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. What did Peter say? If that's you, Lord... Bid me come. 
Jesus said, come. And he came. What, think about it now. What happened in that moment? When Peter, singular focus, when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he looked to Jesus. In that instant, he looked at it the way Jesus did and saw himself walking on the water. Think about it now. What you look to becomes the lens you look through. He saw Jesus doing it, and in that moment, he saw himself doing it. So how do you know that? I know that because he got out of the boat and walked on the water. I bet he was afraid. No, he wasn't. He got afraid when he started looking to something else, right? <laughs> Took his eyes off Jesus, started looking at the, at the wind and the waves, and he started to sink. Because what happened then? He, saw, he started looking at the way things appeared again. It appears like we're all dead. I'm, I'm trying to simplify this for, for us. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is trying to simplify this for us because, we, listen now, it's, we've got to move beyond this second stage of seeing things the way they truly are and then going back to look at, you know, come to church, worship Jesus, get around other folks, pray, hear the word of God, get built up, man, fixing to go, you know, storm hell with a water pistol and then, you know, Monday morning, it's like, oh, Jesus, you know, he's wavering back and forth, right? No, no, no. We, we're going to get to that place like Abraham where we can't see it any other way than the way it truly is. Amen. Fully, fully persuaded, fully convinced. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you, Father, for the victory this morning. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Father, that, that we would see things as they truly are. Father, Satan has tried for, 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 for our whole lifetimes to try to get us to see ourselves as victims. Lord, we are not victims. We are victors. We can't be victims and winners at the same time. And so, Father, we refuse that label. We refuse, Father, to see our th- ourselves as, as he would try to make us appear to be to ourselves or to others, Lord. But instead, Lord, we see ourselves as we truly are. Lord, like Gideon, mighty men and women of valor, able to conquer every devil in hell, overcoming because, Jesus, you overcame them. Father, I thank you that, that you're helping us, Lord, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, Lord, not to, not to uh, you know, be deceived by our own um, uh, pride and self-confidence and reliance upon self but, Father, that, that you would help us see, Lord, the, the times in our lives to where instead of walking according to the way things truly are, Lord, we've been responding to the way it appears. And, Lord, that, that you would help us make those adjustments, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would open our eyes just like you opened the prophet's servant's eyes to see, that you would open our eyes to see clearly, Lord, the way it truly is. Father, that the biggest challenge we're facing in life right now is is nothing more than than Satan trying to make things appear one way to manipulate us into responding the way he would have us to respond. 
Thank you, Father, for victory this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If, you, uh, if the Lord lays you and, and, and the youth and, and Pam and I and the other leaders on, on your heart this week, pray for us at camp. Uh, we're going we're gonna to come back uh, better than we left in Jesus' name, full of the Holy Spirit and, and ready to go take on a new school year and good things coming. Praise God.